0: hey everyone welcome to savage to sage where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs in this show we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage hey everybody welcome to the savage to sage podcast i have the privilege of having mark Duran the CEO and co-founder of uh, Student First Technologies. Mark, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so
1: much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: I have to start out with your LinkedIn profile. Um, you kind of give a little bit like of a biography, a narrative, and uh, I'll be honest with you, it was so refreshing just to kind of like, I felt like I knew you by looking at your profile page on LinkedIn. Is there, is there kind of a reason why you did that? Like, uh, just be curious
1: yeah you know i've I've just really tried to be transparent in everything i do um and uh you know I've had a kind of a, a different background in kind of getting into business so just trying to make my LinkedIn reflective of that is kind of hard to sum up kind of a an alternative pathway but you know I tried to be kind of you know if I can be inspiring to somebody else who's trying to take a kind of a different um approach to life um i'm always uh willing to share
0: yeah so just to give you guys a highlight of what it was like, I got to read like some of Mark's all-time favorite books. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I like that book. I know that book. And like, that was just, I felt like I kind of knew you. So like, whenever I go into somebody's home um, and I want to relate to that person or just kind of get to know who they are, there's a couple of things that I look at. You know, back in the day, it was like, hey, let's check out their DVD selection to see what movies they're into. And then also looking at their bookshelf to kind of see what books they're into. And I'm like, okay, this could be like kind of one of my people. And so like I looked at your LinkedIn page, wasn't expecting that, but that was kind of the case. Like, okay, Mark can be one of my people. That's really cool. So anyway, thanks for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well love, love uh been a big reader since um really kind of got turned on on just fell in love with reading and and you know, in K through twelve. So um kind of stuck with it ever since. So I'm usually have my nose in the book in a book. Um not actually not so much recently. I've just been so busy just like basically trying to implement everything I've learned about in books over the years. Um, I haven't been reading too much lately just cause I've been so busy, but, um, uh, just, I really enjoy it, especially over the
0: summer. That's cool. So tell me about your like a concise, you know, professional bio companies that you founded and kind of the path that kind of led you here today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, basically, My story is not too much different than, you know, a lot of, a lot of other people just kind of, um, you know, families who, who who kind of came to the United States, right? I've, my great grandpa, um, was actually an orphan and he's from Poland. He came over, I don't, I I never met him. His name was Chester and, um, he came, basically came to Detroit long story short. He started his own bakery as kind of an entrepreneur. had my grandpa, Jerry, who's still alive. Um, and then they, he, Chester got in after the bakery, got into building homes, kind of worked for a big home building company as like a superintendent or something like that. And then him and my grandpa were kind of building houses over the summer, um, as like side business. So long story short, my grandpa, uh, Jerry actually has like a master's in education. Um, and he was a teacher for a long time in uh, Detroit when he was starting his family, um, with my grandma, Carolyn. And, um, uh, long story short, the, he, as the the teachers union kind of took over the schools in Detroit, and he kind of saw the writing on the wall and how um, things were changing, um, which we've now really seen the ripple effects of today, kind of in K through twelve school. So he made a big move and um, moved the whole family out of Detroit, um, the Detroit area, and moved everybody up to Northern Michigan. So Petoskey, Harbor Springs. Um, I grew up in Harbor Springs, but he moved to Petoskey with the family. Um, I think it was like in the early sixties. And um, he had been—he just kind of quit teaching cold turkey, and um, he had a whole path to be like PhD and all the you know kind of upper echelon of education, and he just left it all um, behind. And the story goes that he had—he wore a wristwatch, and um, when he moved up north, he took it off, and um, I think he might have thrown it away because I've never seen him wear a watch since. And he was just didn't want to be on anybody else's time. So him and my grandma had d- diligently saved up a little money while they're networking um, in, in Detroit area. Um, They came up and bought some land and he kind of became a, um, you know, just a small time, really um, like real estate land developer. So he just built like spec homes, like a couple a year, nothing too fancy, sell it, um, you know, kind of meet a family is really relational. So um, he got into the building scene up in Northern Michigan. And it was just very, it's a small town, you know, Petoskey, very seasonal, but um, that's how our family ended up in Northern Michigan. They had a bunch of kids and uh, you know, they had, Two, two daughters three boys um, my dad was kind of in the middle and um, so my dad grew up you know public schools in, in uh, Petoskey. and um, they just kind of they grew up in the Northern Michigan um, lifestyle right which is like hockey in the wintertime and building and kind of sailing in the summertime out on the bay on sunfishes and stuff like that so my grandpa he uh, they he kind of built his dream house built a couple subdivisions and kind of like Threw in the towel pretty early. Um, he's still he's still going strong at eighty today. He still sells. He still has some lots for sale and stuff like that. But he kind of just unplugged from the whole like uh, corporate system pretty early, and and then just uh, went out on his own. And then um, two of the sons, um, one of them being my dad, who went into building, um, fine home building, and um, the other one uh, became a uh, airline pilot. So that's how we got up to north of Michigan, um, and then that's kind of a long story short of of my background and so i kind of have that a little bit of alternative um dna kind of baked in of doing things a little differently there but um i grew up in a family of fine home builders and um my, my uncle was in business for himself my dad was and my dad and mom are in business for themselves um really started just very you know started with a very very small place you know flipped houses while they were building their company and then um and then, you know, 30 plus years later, um, they're a really well established company up in, in northern Michigan doing high end, like historical renovations and, and fine home building. So I grew up in that environment. Um, and I give all that kind of just because that was kind of like the way, the really, the, um, the culture that kind of in environment that kind of shaped me, which is this that small business mentality, kind of entrepreneurship. And then during that time, I mean, my mom was a teacher. I have two siblings, a little kid. And uh, when my homeschooling became legal in northern Michigan or in Michigan in 1993, my sister was born in 93. I was born in 95. And my mom was a uh, uh, first grade teacher or something like that um, at the time. And part-time before um, the business really got going, then she started just helping my dad and being a full-time mom. Um and she was like, Well, when you know, when I have kids, um, I want to homeschool. And then, you know, she went to a conference once with some fam with a family before she had kids, got turned on to homeschooling, and thought it was really cool. Both my parents had a decent uh decent like experience in um in, in public school, but um just wanted to do something different and um uh, wanted more flexibility. And so my mom started a homeschool group. Um and I asked her why she did I said, Why did you start homeschool? She was like, Well, nobody else had started one yet. And, you know, I wanted to be able to, you know, be the one who started it so I could kind of, you know, um, you know, make it into what I wanted to make it into. So um, grew up in homeschooling, um, you know, K through 12. And my mom, you know, it was never super formal. It was never like uh, really systematized, but we had a big, um, she was kind of an early adopter of internet at the time. And I remember uh, she had uh, just giant, like, um, she'd carry around there our homeschool group, she'd have this big um notebook and she'd just take down people's email addresses and she had like the first homeschool information network really in northern Michigan. It was like a monthly newsletter of what was going on. And so um our homeschool group really kind of just grew um by leaps and bounds. Um it was a fun way to grow up. And uh, you know, we had ski days and sports and all sorts of stuff. I played sports for our local public schools as well. Um and uh yeah so it's kind of how we the the little different um uh, a little different upbringing, but it was really, really a fun time there, because of that. I was very flexible during those times. those was kind of formative years to be able to spend a lot of time with my dad, um, especially in the summers building houses and meeting his clients and stuff like that. And that's where it led me into, um, you know, I met early on um, a, a really fine gentleman named Tom and his wife. Um, we built a big lake, lake house for, and um, he, I had developed a relationship with him from when I was like 14, taking, helping him take care of his house after we built it and stuff like that. Then when I graduated and that's what kind of... He invited me out to come to his... Uh, it's going to take a gap year anyway. So he, he invited me out to come work for his company in Louisiana. And that's what kind of got me started and and kind of seen a bigger um, picture of the business.
0: That's awesome. That's very, very cool. So, I mean... Tremendous path. And I actually really love that you connected it to your family, multiple generations, because I think it's easy to lose sight of that. Um, You know, in American individualism, um, you know, that's like what you do is king. Um, But it's it's been interesting watching this ancestry kind of thing, like kind of take off, because I think there is truly a deeper meaning to the people that have gone before us and how their lives have shaped and impacted us. So. Thank you for highlighting that. I I really really appreciate that. So tell me about Student First Technologies. What what is that company? How did you start it? Um, you know, you've been at it for five years. I'm curious to know about that.
1: Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, I, I took that gap year. You know, by the time I graduated high school, I you know I was I was basically in my senior year. I was dual enrolled um, in a college a a, a welding college. And also, I did a like an intensive medical school that basically gets when you graduate from that, you get certified at, at like a higher level than an EMT. Um, I was very just like outdoor enthusiast growing up, and still am. Um, so I didn't really know what I was wanted to do. By the time I graduated high school, I'd I'd been working in our family business for so long, I felt like I had a career in home building already, and I liked it a lot, but didn't necessarily know if I wanted to like you know pursue it as my own. And then when I got the chance to take the gap year, work for this guy um, who has this big uh, logistics company. Um, basically, they they have on the Mississippi Mississippi River. There's the big boats and barges that push our bulk commodities up and down all the way from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to like really like Cairo, Illinois. Um, so his company handles all those. They own the giant tugboats and the barges, and they move all that stuff. So you know, and they were doing. They had is a, a really big business and. Um, So I got to live with him and then, but work with all these guys on the river. So I got to really see, you know, and a lot of them didn't know I was living with like the president of the company. And so I was just out there with the guys and with managers and stuff like that. So I got to really see um, business from, you know, my, my parents really have, they have a craftsman mentality business. So there was, you know, it's very hands-on entrepreneurial, but very like looking at it from like kind of an artisan perspective. So it's not as much like a business mindset of how do you scale a business, So this was my first, like, kind of real look into what it looked like to run, like, an actual, like, a really big business with managers and people and employees and multiple states and everything like that. So it was kind of like a a really intensive um, learning process for me because I was with like guys who were just out on the river with the barges, and I was doing that work too, Um, like four o'clock in the morning, swapping barges out on the river and stuff like that. But then I would get to come back and then go get to ride with this president. To like a, a dinner with like a guy who owns one of the biggest oil companies in the United States and like, so I got to see a lot of this and we I got to go out to like Texas on the jet and go hunting and stuff so I got to kind of see this bigger picture of business and um, they're super focused on client service making sure you always treat your customer first and you um, you just really over index on customer service. So, and then he just lived that out. And the first book that he gave me was a book called Good to Great by Jim Jim Collins. And I remember I read that book. Um, it was actually before I came out to work for him. I read the book and I came out there and I literally just watched the book in action because he literally embodied the what what they talked about in that book. So it was really, to me, it was like, you can take knowledge that you read and like put it into action in the real world and it like works. And so that from you know 20 years old, I was like, kind of had that epiphany where it's like, I, I I didn't know if I wanted to go to college at the time. I didn't know what I was going to go for if I did. So long story short, I was asking this guy, I'm like, well, I really, you know, I looked at his lifestyle and what he could do. And I was like, I'm really intrigued by that. Um, this guy was like late 60s. He had a, like, he spent a lot of time with his wife, he got to travel a lot. He was always, you know, he was always, his like, his work was his life and his life was his work. So he was always kind of doing both. And, you know, there wasn't, um, and I, so I always aspired to that cause it was just, he really enjoyed what he did and had a great relationship, had a lot of flexibility in it. Um, so I was like, well, what do you have to do to like, do you have to go to college to be in business for yourself? And he's like, no, he's like, I, he's like, I went to college and he's like, I don't remember anything about it. He's like, I really just like, you know, just did the college experience. But he said, like, everything I know about business, he's like, it's from people I've met and the books I've read. And I was like, thinking to myself at the time, I'm like, well, I'm like, I could go spend four years going to college to like, learn about like study business where I can just go right into it and just try to figure it out. So, um, I worked for him about a year and then came back, started my own property management business while working for my dad's business. Um, and kind of taking on a bigger, like managerial role with that. Um, and then just tried a lot of different things. So, um, that's kind of how I got started and into the business world on my own. And then long story short, property management really well, but it didn't really kind of hit all the, the boxes I was looking for. So I kind of, um, put that aside, I, you know, I, I, at the time I met my now wife, um, she got accepted into school to be an eye doctor, um, down here in Bloomington actually. So that's how we got to Indiana. So, um, I kind of succe- It just basically did a nice handoff to another, um, guy the property management and kind of walked away from the whole world, uh, moved to Indianapolis and got involved in the tech scene and then ended up working for a couple tech companies and uh, marketing and some different, um, different organizations. And then that kind of led me into um, later on meeting my co-founder.
0: Cool. Very, very cool. So if you were to say what student first technologies does, give give me kind of a synopsis of it. Yeah.
1: So we help administer education funding programs. Um, Got our start. um, My co-founder before we even met, he was building um, technology for a group called the Institute of Quality Education in Indianapolis. They're the biggest scholarship parenting organization in the state. Um, so we basically built their whole, um, end, um, all the technology needed to run that, um, to issue scholarships and everything like that. Um, long story short, that's kind of how he got tuned into the school choice movement. And he was, he, he had his own business right after um, college and, uh, he was doing really well at doing software consulting. And so that was one of his clients, um, for a while. And then, um, we met and then he was still software consulting and we started working together, kind of scaling out. Um, cause we owned the platform that we had built for this um, organization. Um, and then we started scaling out into other states with it. So basically we met in like 2019 or we met in like 2018. We were really just friends before we met, um, through our wives and, uh, they met in a running club and then we met and hung out, went mountain biking and rock climbing. We just talked about business all the time. And, um, didn't think we we're going to end up partnering together, but kind of in 2019, we started just part-time um, scaling out this product that we had to help other nonprofits that administer education funding programs. And um, in about a year and a half, we went from like one to two states to about 15. Um, and you know from about $14 million a year going to families to um, over $100 million a year going to families. Um, so our, our platform today is called Theodore and Theodore handles any type of education funding program. So... Te- started in tax credit scholarships, we do micro grants. So we run the the all the technology for the Indiana Learns micro grant program here in Indiana, um, and then we also do ESAs and are really our sole focus. Um, almost our sole focus now is um, ESAs, which is a lot of these programs are becoming ESAs or kind of a, um, evolving into an ESA, um, which is an education savings account where the state takes part of the per people funding and allocates that directly to a family. And that family, it's kind of like an HSA account. Um, so our technology um, theater platform is basically that whole um, end-to-end platform that manages an a education savings
0: account. Very, very cool. Very cool. I think of... Uh, so I'm a big Shark Tank fan, right? My wife and I watch that. So one of the only TV shows we watch. Yeah. Love the show. Um, but one of the companies that was on there was Scol- Scully. Uh, Scully? Yeah, essentially, it's an app that would help you look for um, grant applications for, scho- uh, for scholarships for college.
1: Oh, interesting. Was it recent that
0: was on there? It would have been probably like five to seven years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and he, they got a deal. Yeah. Scully and I think uh, yeah, I'm actually really upset that I don't know the actual name of the application, but basically what it was is that it was a search engine that you would kind of, kind of put some unique data for yourself in, and then it would pull up all of the college application scholarships that you would be eligible for. Is that similar to what you guys do? Um, it, but is it maybe not exclusive to college? Can you kind of tell me some more details about yeah, like, your-
1: that? So, um, Uh, for those who don't know too much about uh, education savings accounts, ESAs as they're called today, um, it's really K through 12 only. So um, um, in broad strokes, what we do is kind of consolidating that process that you were just talking about. That's for higher ed, but for K through 12. So how do you find those scholarships as opportunities um, that you can connect with and and, and send your your kid to the school of your choice um, through their K through 12 years? So in broad strokes, that's what we we help connect families with those kind of opportunities. But uh, yeah, so education savings accounts (ESAs) they've been um, really. There's the first program was in Arizona um, years ago. It started off as really just special needs um, ES education savings account. So, but now and really since um, COVID, kind of really accelerated accelerated the policy. So there's a fantastic organization in downtown Indianapolis actually called um, Ed Choice. Um, their CEOs, um, Robert and an absolute fantastic organization, great group of people with, um, they do education freedom policy. And so they've been really one of the, um, them among many other great, uh, organizations have really been pushing for more education freedom over the years. And it's really, um, kind of their vision and a lot of the work that they've been doing, um, planting seeds for years has come to fruition over this last year, which is widespread ESA education policy getting passed across the United States. Um, or in process, in like the legislation process. So there's just been a big push um, to be able to fund students, not systems. And what that looks like is um, historically, right? You've if you want to go into like a quote-unquote good public school, you have to buy into that zip code, basically. So it's really not open to anybody. It's kind of segregated off of where you can afford. So um, you know, it, basically open enrollment policies plus education ESA policy is helping kind of like. Um, Uh, Kind of on there's kind of they call it redlining in education basically where all the zip codes go and which school districts you can get into so um, ESAs are are really kind of helping create a lot more like equity in education and letting families who maybe are are quote unquote trapped in a failing public school be able to gain funding um, to be able to go to a, a school of their choice. And that's it, we've seen school. Indiana's had a lot of school choice over the years of you know voucher programs and scholarships, but ESA is is, is really it's a you know the money um, is coming directly from the state. So you're not you're basically applying to um, a state or an organization that's um, like a nonprofit organization that is a uh, is running the program, and instead of like that scholarship getting fundraised for you know by. Uh, people who are getting a tax credit for that. And, you know, it's coming directly from the state. So they're taking like 80 to 90% of that per people funding. And they're just putting that into a digital wallet for a family to use. Um, so, we're, you know, there's a, there's a uh, expanded ESA coming here in Indiana. Um, but a good example for a lot of people to be able to look up is just Arizona. Um, the base amount per year per student, there's like $7,000 um, that families get per student um, each year. And then if there's some learning, um, uh, if there's any learning disabilities or anything like that for a student they can qualify for up to like $40,000 a year if if there's some unique um learning needs that are that are, need to be accounted for
0: that's really great information Oh, that's great that's really really cool i love the mission behind it and just the you know making it equitable for everybody um the red lining for you know uh schooling uh that makes tons of sense so yeah thanks for sharing a bit about that
1: absolutely A good book is uh, a fine line by Tim DeRoche um, really kind of explains um, kind of really how our our educational system has kind of um, evolved over the years and kind of what's getting put in place to kind of um, solve some of the, the pitfalls.
0: Okay, that's perfect. Thank you. Maybe we can put that in our show notes. So talking about your journey, you know, like I think you've alluded to it a little bit. So you've said that like you've come from a family of entrepreneurs, um, what, what made you, you know, make the decision to say, this is for me, you know, uh, this is like, Mark, you know, like this is something that I want to do, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's really just been a, a really a, a journey, honestly, um, growing up in a family business, right. You, you kind of, you're grown accustomed to, you know, working a lot, right. You know, um, you know, I'm not saying we, you know, we weren't like, a, Super wealthy. I mean, you did well as a as a family business, but you know, but you work a lot. You know, when you own your own business, you, you're working a lot, and you know, your life's your work, and your work's your life, and um, you just learn to really enjoy it. So, you know, that was just normal for me growing up. And then, really, how how I internalized it is, I saw you know what my family was able to do because they own their own business. And I saw a lot of the stresses of it too, right? Like I've seen, you know, it, you, there's there's two sides of it, right? But then I also saw kind of like the bigger picture to business when you can create like more, um, you know, economies of scale with a business, depending on the business model. Um, there's kind of different ways. And the, one of the most rewarding things about owning a business is, you know, the people that you get to work with and um, you get to give opportunity to. So um, that's, you know, a big motivator as well. It's just having a great team to work with every day. So, but really, you know, you asked the question, how did I get into it? You know, I, I kind of had, you know, I could have just stayed in the family business and and you know, kind of taken over what what what's existing. And my brother is doing that; and he's doing a f- fantastic job. But, um, you know, I just I kind of knew I wanted something a little different. I knew I wanted to go try my own hand at at something. And you know, it didn't come right away. Business takes a lot. It takes a lot out of you. It, it takes a lot of time. I always say you're trying to start a business or you have an idea for a new product or a service or anything you know it's going to take 5 years minimum to kind of see something through to kind of to just get an idea off the ground to get some initial traction you can have traction you know much faster but you got to commit kind of mentally for 5 years to any one thing and it doesn't mean that you know you have to be full time with it right away but it's something you're going to have to have that just dogged determination to keep working on something when it doesn't seem like it's working. And that's really just been how my journey, because, you know, I worked when I moved to Indianapolis, I was working for a marketing agency to begin with. And then, you know, I through getting married and my wife was in school to be an eye doctor. And then after we got married, I moved to Bloomington. So I was working in consulting down here doing sales. And so I really kind of looked at, I knew my angle was wanting to start and own my own business um, again because um, I kind of come out of that. I was in property management and I went back into just really just being an employee for the first time really ever, like in, in, a, in a corporate world, right? With like, you know, glass conference rooms and kind of corporate structures that never had been in that before. So it was like giant learning experience for me. But I, I, I kind of picked jobs that I could learn things with. That I knew would teach me what I needed for for business later on. So, like one of the first ones was a marketing agency. Like, I learned really to kind of work in an office environment. I hadn't done that before. I was always on the go, out in the field, doing stuff. Um, you know, very little office work is at the end of the day, reconciling things. But, you know, working in an office eight hours to nine hours a day is a complete change for me. Um, so, that was my first job. And it was really just learning how to sit at a desk for most of the time. And I you nearly know, went crazy the first couple months. And then really from there, it was like, I kind of learned that world a bit, got a good um, uh, experience with it. Went on to like a sales and consulting job. And I, you know, frankly, I didn't know how to sell very well at the time. And if you're in business, you got to learn how to sell. Everybody really knows how to sell. Um, Even if, even if somebody says they're not a salesman, like, you know, you're, you're selling yourself on something or somebody on, you know, whether you're selling your time or a product or something like that. But it, learning how to kind of learn the methodology behind you know selling um, is is something you have to learn. So I yeah I got a job in that. It was a consulting job. It was um, in the publishing world. So I was working with a lot of authors, and you know I I got to actually work with some really cool authors. Who are former like comptroller general of the United States. I got to work with him on a marketing um, big marketing campaign and, and and consulting on a bunch of things. So. Learning just how to sell and interact and follow up and and be determined on that, and then you know I worked in auditing and insurance, like a subrogation auditing job, and I I took that because I like I wanted something a little different than sales. I wanted something where I had to do a lot of analytics and data and be able to kind of understand um, kind of how systems fit together. And then um, got a job in a startup as well, doing partnerships and sales and kind of a longer-term strategy things like that. And then at that time, I kind of met my co founder and we started part time working together. Um, And then we just kind of, he had a very um, like unique and um, like successful background in a lot of different areas. So we just kind of parlayed that mix of experience and understandings together. And then that's how Student First Technologies was born. So we definitely didn't start as like this one thing that we were doing because we we didn't have, couldn't say we had all the all the answers in place when we got started and we just kind of figured it out and just kept meeting a need. We're really big on a book called The Go-Giver, which is talk to one of the, the, the laws and the go-givers is um, give more in value than you ask for in payment. And, you know, we really just getting started in this um, sector, you know, we just we, we really just we, we just met customers and people where they're at and just try to solve a need. And, you know, really soon we were able to do that because we were subsidizing, we were working nights and weekends basically because um, we were working full-time at the time. So um, that's kind of how we got started. I mean, there's not a really a one one answer to how, how I got started in business, but um, but today, you know, we're full-time at it and um, that's going really well.
0: That's great. That's really cool. I love how you said, set your mind to five years. You know, like that's really important, you know? So I think, you know, I think about, um, you know, my, my young kids. Right. So my daughter will come to me and she'll say, Hey dad, can you go play with me outside now? And I'm like, I'm going to, you know, like the answer will be yes, but it doesn't need to be the demand of, you know, this second, you know? And it's like, if I don't give the the response to absolutely, yes, let me drop everything. You know, it's like, what I'm trying to highlight is that there's some conditioning there, right? Like People are used, young kids specifically, tech, you know, with technology, instant, fast, quick, you know, to get there. Five years on ramp to kind of make things settled, to make you settled, to be committed to something seems like a long time, you know. But I think it actually is a good time frame, you know, when you think about actually launching a business. Like, hey, it's going to be a five five year commitment just to kind of probably get your feet wet, you know, and kind of really be a, a master, you know, maybe get a bachelor's degree equivalent to uh, your field, you know? So um, yeah, I like you sharing that. That's that's pretty sage advice. So thanks for that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I really... I, I had the pleasure of working with, meeting and working closely with several very successful guys in business. And they're also very just... that. What kind of... Tr- Drew me to working for them at the time is that they weren't just like successful just in business, but they had great families, great relationships. You know, they had time, and so, but they all kind of had a similar message, and I got to work for for multiple folks like this, and you know, a lot of them said, you know, you, you got to commit to the long term, right, of figuring things out, and kind of what sometimes what you start with, like the idea, it's going to evolve as you go a business that you think it's going to start out, you're just going to do one thing, right. You might learn something new along the way, but kind of like just setting yourself to that. Cause most people, they, they, they get really excited about a business or something or opportunity to go out on their own and they try it really hard for a month or something. And then it's like, Oh, this isn't working. And they go, they, they stop or something like that or after a year. But you know, you just have to kind of, you have to look at it and be realistic where you're at. But yeah, I mean, you have to kind of like, if you, you know, you're moving in that direction, you got to just kind of set your mind on it and then go after it. Um, And, you know, you're going to learn a lot during that time. And, you know, maybe what you, what you originally started off on, maybe the first opportunity um, that you, you set off working on, you know, doesn't pan out, but then you pivot with what you learned on that one and you merge it into something else during those five years. So, but usually if, you know, if you just commit to it during that time, you can, you'll figure something out. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Great. Thanks, Mark. So like, if you were speaking about that, like five-year commitment, has there been like specific things that you've learned a lot in that five-year, you know, kind of commitment to a business? The like professional, personal, like as you've like kind of evolved as an entrepreneur, what are some things that you've learned a- along the way for yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I think you can't you can't take shortcuts. One of the things that you know we've really learned along the way. Is you have to really just be patient. There's seasons where a lot of things happen quickly, and there's other other seasons where things happen really slowly. So you just have to be patient during those. Um, but learning-wise, I definitely say just a lot of it's just learning about yourself. To be honest, I mean you you really have to learn personality types on people, like how you're wired, how you respond to stress things like that because you know there's a lot of businesses it's simple right you you're basically figuring out you you figure out a need right and then you figure out a solution to that need and then you figure out how to price it and then make it worthwhile and make it all work and figure systems out around that so it's kind of it's simple by nature but it's complex because everybody right you're working with people and people are always changing and th- industry is always changing technology changes quickly so you have to be really adaptable so I'd say just being adaptable like you know you, you have to make sure you have a good you know make sure you it really anything in business you have to you know find your product market fit as fast as possible you know find something that somebody's willing to pay for right you know that's what you have to do in business you have to be find a way to profitability um find a way to get customers i think one of the reasons um you know we we thought about raising money we had a lot of conversations with investors early on and it, there's there's kind of two ways to build a business right you can you can kind of go "Quote unquote" slower and bootstrap it, and then you find your customers, or you can go raise money. Right? You basically you, that you try to figure every you try to figure out this big pitch, right? And then you go sell that dream to an investor, and then you then you are really on the hook for trying to deliver to that dream that you sold, right? And I've seen a lot of people do that successfully. There's like there's definitely an art to raising money, and, and and it's definitely viable. But you have to really look at what business model you're in, right? Does it make sense to raise money? A lot of times, it doesn't make sense to raise money because you're committing yourself to such a, um, a huge outcome, right? An investor needs 10, 20, 50, 100 times whatever they give you. So you can't have it's like if you are excited about like getting a customer, right? The investor's like, cool, you have to get 1,000 more. So it's just, it kind of sets that. And what we've seen as a company, especially in our space, it's highly regulated. We sell to governments. We go through extensive RFP processes. You know these things take a month to build. We just submitted one that took us a month and a half. It's 121 pages. Um, we just want a state contract, and they're just long processes, right? And it's it's complicated. And you're 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 running your business while you're doing something else. And if you skip steps and you try to rush it, that ends up um, getting reflective in your work um, and then how you communicate to other people. So I think it's just you know being patient, not skipping steps. And but making sure you really kind of understand the um, the market that you're in and and understand your competition.
0: That's great. Lots of sage business advice there. I appreciate that. You know, I want to. We have just a little bit more time, but two more questions, and then we'll figure out how people can get connected to you, Mark. What would you say is the best or most rewarding thing to come out of your kind of evolution as an entrepreneur?
1: I think you know before before you can talk about like vision, impact, and stuff, it's just like getting your first kind of win, right? Getting some paying customers. I've known a lot of people in startups and stuff, and they really start talking about impact and all this stuff, which is really great. But like, if you not if you don't just do the basics and get some customers and get out the gate, find product market fit, and figure out a way to scale, even if it's slow at first, like that's that's a big win. And you know, there's a lot of people trying to raise a lot of money so they can kind of skip the hard work or, or trying to rush through that hard work, but you can't, You it takes time. Um, so I'd say just, you can I, you know, if, it could be as simple as like if you start a lawn mowing company and you go close a lawn, like somebody's like, Hey, I'll pay you 50 bucks a week, you know, to mow my lawn. Like you got a customer, you got a model, you got a plan. It's the same thing in any anything else you do. It takes a lot longer, right? If you're selling to a government or you're closing a super highly complex technical, um, like, a technology deal or something like that, but it's kind of the same process. So I'd say just figure out those first wins, and then you can really start layering on. Like, okay, what kind of company culture do you have? What kind of values are you aspiring to? How are you attracting people? Like, we're in a position we're we're really growing organically. Um, we don't we 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 have kind of a waitlist of people who want to work for us, and we only hire when we can. We close the business that be able, that ensures them long term success and growth of the company. So I say, once, once you kind of get that, that core requirement taken care of, because um, I've been on the other end of it where, you know, if you raise a bunch of money, you have this amazing vision and everything, but you don't have the customers. And then everybody's really bought in. They're excited about the company. Um, and this happens a lot. And, you know, it, and it's just part of the process. and And then people... Then, you know, after a year, the money runs out and then you know, year now where's everybody at, right? They have to go get new jobs. So we're really just focused on, you know, building slow, building really high quality um, and building for the long term. So I'd say that's, that's probably um, most rewarding is just kind of getting those basics figured out and then, um, you know, growing slowly um, along the way because, you know, slow incremental growth ends up being exponential over time.
0: Love it. Totally love it. That's great, if you were to talk to somebody that like um is just starting out as an entrepreneur or thinking about stepping into that, you know kind of what advice would you give them as they're considering that journey?
1: Yeah, I'd say be really honest number one, be really honest with yourself. Why do you want to start a business right? There's too many people selling like the dream of entrepreneurship, which is like be a millionaire, <laughs> um you know drive cool cars, like all this stuff, right, flashiness and that is if you're getting if you're getting into it for that reason like don't because it's going to take forever like is if you're a founder of a business myself you get paid last actually like everybody else you know, like gets money before you do so like and if you're doing it you know really i'd say if you're growing sustainably so i would say I'd be really real with yourself well, like what How do you want to live, right? Ask yourself, how do you want to live? Maybe a job for a lot of people is a great option because you can leave it all at work and you can check out and you know have a free weekend. You know, I was just in Arizona dropping off a bid, but you know, like I I work, I enjoy it because my life is my work and my work is my life. But you know, finding out, like you know, if you as as an owner, right, you're you're kind of always on. You know, you're the only one accountable to yourself and your co-founder if you have a co-founder. So I'd say that, just be really honest with yourself about why you want to get started in business. Are you doing it to help other people? Or are you doing it, you know, you have to be able to meet your own needs. Um, but yeah, I'd say be number one, just have an honest conversation with yourself about your motivation for doing it. Um, and then two is like, look for people who um, are in life where you want to be and then figure out what they've done. Ask them questions, um, seek out a good mentor who can, who, who's kind of, you know, walk the path that you, you know, a similar path if you want to do, you know, read a lot of books, um, is really, you know, just to kind of understand people and business and you can look to other people who are inspirational to you. You know, maybe even if you don't have somebody who's necessarily you've ever met before, like somebody I, you know, kind of admire, right. Is or different people. Like even somebody a, like Jesse Itzler, he's married to Sarah Blakely. She founded Spanx. It's crazy, it's like an underwear company, right? But you're like, she started with five thousand dollars and it's a billion-dollar company. Like she knows some stuff about business. Like he has a similar story. Find people like you don't have to necessarily sit down with somebody in person, but you could follow somebody on Instagram who's actually really actually talking about real business. And and don't follow, you know, don't don't tune into people who are just selling you like a dream, buy a course, you know, do, do this or that but follow people who kind of like are inspirational to you for more reasons than just like money or business, but like kind of the whole package, life, family, business, um, marriage, and then just kind of ask yourself, go back to that core root. Like, why do I want to do this? And maybe it's a good personality fit for you. Maybe it's not, but kind of, you kind of get through that free pre- uh, flight checklist. Um, you're kind of pretty much on your way.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you, Mark. I tell you what, this has been a very enjoyable conversation and I've loved it. If people wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, um, probably Twitter, um, Mark Elliott Duran is my Twitter handle. Um, Email mark at studentfirsttech.com. You can go to our website, um, www.studentfirsttech.com or LinkedIn, just Mark Duran on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always, I reply to messages and and, uh, I'm pretty available. Very cool.
0: Mark, thank you so much for your time. And um, excited to, to hear more about uh, all the successes that you guys have. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.